Welcome to Water and Power Leadership, a podcast from CMUA, the California Municipal Utilities Association. I'm Matt Williams, CMUA's Communications Director. Our guest is Michael Wara, a Senior Research Scholar at the Woods Institute for the Environment and Director of the Climate and Energy Policy Program at Stanford University. Wara has become a leading voice on wildfire and utility issues, and he served as the state Senate appointee to the Senate Bill 901 Commission on Catastrophic Wildfire Cost and Recovery. Joined by Patrick Welsh, CMUA's Legislative Director for Energy, we talked about a new report from the California Council on Science and Technology called Costs of Wildfire in California. Wara was the chair of the report's steering committee. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me. So this new report, uh, what inspired it and why is it needed right now in this moment in time? Well, I think there's a lot of um, interest in um, policy making around wildfire. There certainly has been over the last three years as we've seen these incredibly devastating events occur in the state. And um, our concern was that it, it's hard to make good policy if you don't actually know the costs of the impacts that you're trying to manage and, and minimize or the costs of various interventions, right? So ideally, we'd be um, investing you know, the, uh, uh, the right amount in cost-effective strategies to make the problem as manageable as possible, but not too much and not too much in any particular strategy. So that all begins with measuring the cost. And that's what this report was about. If there was something that you wanted the average Californian to know about the conclusions of the report, what would that be? And then part B to that, what would you want a legislator or a policymaker to take away from the report? Thanks, Matt. I think the average Californian should know from this report that the costs of wildfire in California are much larger than the ones that we typically hear on the radio when we hear about acres burned or we hear about the insured value of real estate that's been destroyed. And in particular, that the public health costs of the wildfire smoke are likely as large, maybe larger than the um, the real estate that's impacted by fire. And um, that there are a number of other really big impacts that we don't understand very well, but need to urgently study especially impacts on water uh, quantity and water quality, right? The impact on a fire on our water supply um, that we need to figure out if we're going to make good policy um, around wildfire in the state. And actually, I think the message for policymakers is basically the same, right? We, we need to be studying this problem. The costs are much larger than the ones you typically hear about, the ones that we do a good job of measuring. And so we should be willing to invest in whatever infrastructure or interventions we need to reduce this problem, um, probably to a greater degree than we're doing even now. We'd, we'd probably like to drill down a little bit on, on some water issues because you raised those. But, um, you know, real quick, following up on, on, you know, measuring the cost of wildfires. I mean, are you suggesting or is the report suggesting that those things that we hear on the radio about acres burned and houses lost, is the report suggesting that those are outdated ways of thinking about the cost of wildfire? I think that's a fair characterization, Patrick. You know, the 
we have, you know, our understanding of wildfire really developed from kind of forest management. And in that context, acres burned makes a lot of sense because you could think about that translating into board feed. Um, but we don't live in that world in California anymore. When we think about the impacts of wildfire, we're worried about communities being destroyed. And that does tie into real estate real estate losses. But we're also concerned about, you know, the impacts we suffered this summer where it was basically unhealthy for about 40 million people to go outside for a month. And some people can avoid smoke exposure like that, but lots of people can't. They have to go outside to do their jobs, to get to work, to get to school if they're in school. And those impacts, we think, are as significant in terms of actual deaths associated with the smoke exposure than as as the the real estate losses we've been suffering. They're less visible because they're distributed across the state. But this also is really important from a policy and political perspective because it means that the impacts of wildfire are not just felt by the communities where the fires occur, right? It matters if you live in downtown Sacramento, if there's a fire in the Sierra. It may mean that it's not safe for you to go outside. It could give you um, respiratory or cardiovascular um, problems. And um, that's fixing that is worth something. Addressing this problem is a state problem, statewide issue. It's not, you know, it's an issue in the urban areas as much as it is in the rural areas where we traditionally have thought and worried a lot about wildfire. So obviously the report was, you know, had a touched on a lot of different issues, you know, talking about health issues you were just explaining. Um, and you mentioned water, um, you know, when it comes to water supply and water, water quality, um, you know, what did, what did the report find in terms of the data that's there and, and the data that's missing? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So there's a lot of effort that goes into measuring impacts on watersheds from wildfires. Typically, this work is done after a fire. There are teams that are sent in to try to stabilize slopes um, and, and mitigate some of the harms from the wildfire. But what we discovered is that most of the data that's collected isn't intercomparable, right? So it's sort of collected in somewhat idiosyncratic ways. And, and so you can't really build a synthesis of, of um, impacts looking at all fires or all fires even in a single year. and so there, there are a lot of question marks. Um, we do know, though, from anecdotal evidence and anecdotal reporting, like news reports, that fires are having impacts on water infrastructure and certainly also on water quality. Um, that's both true for water distribution systems, like the distribution system in, in, the, in the town of Paradise or, or in Santa Rosa after the Tubbs fire. It's also true um, in terms of runoff from uh, you know, urban and suburban settings that are impacted by wildfire, where you get toxic contaminants uh, from the combusted homes getting into the water supply. And I think you know, a, a, an additional concern are you know, potential sediment impacts from these unprecedented wildfires that are, that are starting to occur. You know, I would point especially to the, the bear and fire north complex that occurred this year directly above one of the state's most important um, uh, reservoirs, right? The or, or Lake Oroville and the Oroville Dam. 
And we need to be paying a lot of attention to the potential impacts of fire. We know that after a fire, the hydrology of uh, watersheds changes quite dramatically. Um, And there are there are certain parts of the state, you know, where I live in Marin County is one, Santa Cruz County is another, that don't have kind of good connections to the state system. And so are particularly vulnerable because they could be, you could have a fire um, in the watersheds for the water systems for those places, and they don't have a way to get additional supply uh, readily. And so we need to be thinking more systematically about this and investing in resilience. And and that might mean, you know, I I think of uh, investment in watershed wildfire resilience as just as important as investing in dam infrastructure, you know, when it comes to securing water supplies um, for the state and for particular areas of the state, like, for instance, like I mentioned, Marin. I think it's an issue that, you know, at least in Sacramento, um, you know, hasn't gotten a a lot of attention, uh, but I think you know, it's growing in attention. I think you made some really good points. You know, the Placer County Water Agency, uh, I think it was the King Fire in 2015 uh, that that really affected um, some of their service territory. And after that experience, they, you know, embarked on a on a multi-sector, um, multi-partner effort to to clean up, basically, for lack of a better better word, um, 20,000 acres. Um, in the French Meadows, um, so it are, and that's forest thinning. Um, that's working with the federal government. That's working with local fire safe councils. I mean, are those the kinds of things that that you think the state needs to address these water issues when it comes to wildfires? I do. You know, another really successful example of this kind of you know the 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 water and or the this in this case it was the the power company operating the hydro facilities, but you know, what Southern California Edison did in the Creek fire, um, uh, this year in the lands they own that were within the fire perimeter is a great demonstration of the benefit of preventative investment in terms of protecting infrastructure, right? So Edison has had a very active management, um, regime in place for about a decade, I think, um, in the area, in the reservoirs they own, uh, in the, 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 the Southern Sierra. And it was incredibly successful in terms of protecting the areas around their dams and, and especially the, the sort of last, you know, mile or so of drainage into the, the reservoirs. And we need to do, we need to be doing that, um, in a, in a really strategic way at a much larger scale. I think local agencies have a big role to play. Um, the federal government, of course, has has a really important role to play here as well. Um, and you can see the enormous contrast in the Creek Fire region uh, between, you know, Forest Service-owned lands and Edison-owned lands, where the Forest Service was not actively managing and the fire was catastrophic. And in the on the Edison lands, the fire dropped down from the canopy onto the ground and burned in a very controlled way. And it was actually really important for protecting the town of um, Shaver Lake as well. It happened to be, you know, sort of an inholding within the Edison footprint. And it allowed, uh, you know, that the Edison lands basically saved the town. Um, so, yeah, you know, there's a lot we can do. There's a lot, um, and, and, and it, but it has to be a multi, um, you know, 
it has to be a collaboration. Uh, and there are good examples of that in the state of California, right? In the Lake Tahoe region, there's a very productive collaboration between um, many landowners, many different classes of landowners to try to reduce wildfire risk. And I think it's it's likely to pay enormous dividends if and when there is a big fire um, in that region again. Moving away from water for a moment, so what did the report find uh, about the costs associated for power utilities specifically? Well, we looked at... Um, you know, a few different aspects of, of the situation for uh, utilities in the state. One was the um, utility spending on wildfire mitigation, essentially ignition prevention. And that's um, relatively well quantified, at least for the investor-owned utilities. And, um, and it's a very significant investment. Uh, currently and probably for the next several years, you know, multiple billions of dollars are being spent per year trying to reduce the probability of utility cost ignitions. And that makes sense given the loss experience of uh, 2017 and 2018 and 2019. <laughs> um, and uh, it makes, um, you know, but it's, but it's, a, it's a significant investment and significantly larger than the investment we're making in strategies to reduce the consequences of wildfires once they are ignited. And we did note that. Um, in addition, we suggest that, um, you know, there are, there, we, we find that there are very sort of limited and kind of um, preliminary attempts to estimate the costs of um, public safety power shutoffs. But we think that um, more study, more investment needs to be made um, to value the lost load that's occurring in the state as a result of the PSPS events, because they're likely to be a feature of the power sector environment, at least for the next several years. And not understanding those impacts um, makes it more difficult to understand um, the cost effectiveness of the utility interventions that are occurring. Right. So so if PSPS events, if the value of lost load for PSPS events is relatively small, then maybe we should use them more. If it's really high, we might want to invest even more than we're investing in ignition avoidance for electric utilities. Um, those were kind of the two main areas we looked at. We also we also attempted to quantify um, costs associated with um replacement of utility infrastructure that's destroyed in wildfires, but actually getting a handle on that number proved quite challenging. And so that's another area where I think it's worth, you know, evaluating whether there could be a, uh, some sort of a simple way to, to track that so that we can keep an account for all of the costs associated with wildfires. Because obviously utility infrastructure is incredibly expensive, very capital intensive, and also hard to replace just because of labor limitations and, you know, the challenges that are associated with permitting new infrastructure, even when it's replacement infrastructure. Is that utility data about infrastructure loss? Is that just not in one spot, not easily collected, or is it difficult to get from each utility? It is. It tends to be distributed across multiple rate cases um, and not just, you know, and even within a single utility you have to track different uh, proceedings 
to try to estimate it. And so, and, 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 and it can be hard to differentiate in the, the wildfire uh, management accounts that have been created by the investor owns um, between, you know, kind of emergency response costs uh, and um, the, the actual replacement costs of the infrastructure. So it's, 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 it's challenging to tease out. I think it is possible to tease out if we made a dedicated effort to do so. But even easier would just be for the utilities to report it because they're tracking it. They know what their capex is to replace infrastructure after these events. And I think it's possible to just keep track of that and, and report it so that the state um, has a better sense for what these overall costs look like. One of the costs that utilities and their their customers face is when a wildfire occurs and it, and it may be ignited by utility infrastructure, there's a legal regime known as strict liability that you know assigns those costs to the utility and its customers. You took a look at this issue when you served, and I think you continue to serve on the Commission on Catastrophic Wildfire Cost and Recovery. Did this new report look at that issue of strict liability and, and how that really assigns the costs of, of wildfires to utilities and their customers? You know, we really didn't, Patrick, in this report. The, the goal of the CCST study is to measure the costs, not to uh, get too much into questions of how those costs should be allocated. Um, our feeling was that, you know, there's sort of a, I mean, certainly there's been a lot of active discussion about the the doctrine of inverse condemnation and strict liability for utility cost wildfire in the state of California um, over the last several years. And there's a lot of concern, particularly for smaller publics, uh, around this issue. But this report is more about trying to understand the overall cost to society so that then policymakers can make good decisions about how to allocate and manage that cost so as to minimize it. But we're not we're not really in the position of making those calls. The report touches on land use issues and, and it concludes that you know, the location and pattern of housing development is a really important factor in explaining structure loss. And, and there's been this debate over the past few years about what's known as, you know, the WUI, the wildland urban interface. Um, so what did the report really talk about with respect to homes in that WUI? And, and I know the report didn't propose any solutions, but I know you've done some thinking about this. So what did the report find and what do you think needs to be done about it? How do we think about this issue, about where people live, where they live in connection to, to wildfire risk? Yeah. So I'd make a distinction between two problems. One is the existing homes, which number, you know, depends on how you count them, but could be somewhere between one and three million homes are exposed to some level of wild, significant level of wildfire risk in California. Um, and then there's the question of homes we might build in the future, right? Housing production in the state. And so when it comes to the existing homes, I think that the report is quite clear that there are well understood strategies to reduce the chances of ignition. Um, those include, you know, home hardening, right? Making your home less prone to ignition, um, managing vegetation on your property, 
And then at the community level, managing vegetation in a way that will give firefighters time to stage and defend a community as a fire is approaching um, and maybe reduce the intensity of the wildfire. Um, and those are kind of tried and true. Uh, they work. We have lots of data at this point from the loss experience of the last three years to illustrate their effectiveness, uh, four years, I guess. That can do a lot for the existing built environment. There's a question, though, about like, okay, so we want to build more houses in California. We don't have enough houses. Our housing production hasn't kept up with population growth for a very long time, and we all suffer from the consequences of that. So should we continue to build houses in the way that we have over the past 50 years? And the report suggests that a couple of things. One is that we don't know, and we know enough at this point in the kind of uh, fire science to think that housing patterns matter. Um, the pattern of the pattern of land use development matters in terms of wildfire. In particular, as you put people into a landscape, they are going to ignite more fires in lots of different ways: utility infrastructure, but lots of other ways too. Just it, the population density as it increases from zero, increases the rate of ignition. And if the consequences of ignition are high, then you're going to burn, you know, you're going to have um, negative consequences for society. So one strategy is don't put more people out in rural or wooey landscapes. Another strategy might be to change the pattern of development in the wooey and to try to concentrate it, right? Still allow for new development in previously undeveloped places, but try to uh, try to lay out the houses and the streets in a way that can minimize risk. And I think what the conclusion of the steering committee and of the authors was that we don't really know enough about that issue to say definitively, like what the right approach is, that more work needs to be done and um, both in terms of you know loss experience in the real world and also modeling uh, to try to, to try to evaluate what the best approaches are but there's just no question that you know good planning is probably the cheapest thing for to you know strategy for reducing uh, the impacts of wildfire at least for these yet to be built parts of California. So, Michael, just building off your your answer, I mean, I think legislators at least have a sense of urgency, and I think rightfully so. And I think what I just heard you say is that you know we we need to look at this more and look at the data more. So, how do you balance the need to understand something better and the time that'll take with the the likely need to take action um, sooner rather than later? I think. The way, the way I would balance that is to take the actions now that we know we should be taking, right? And that really means intervention at a much greater scale than is currently the case to reduce the chances that existing homes will ignite during a wildfire. And it's important to emphasize that that really has to happen at the community level. You know, homes are fuel in a fire, too. Right. And so if my neighbor's house is not hardened and it ignites, 
in a wildfire, even though my home is built to the most stringent standards, it is very likely that my home will then also ignite, particularly if the setback between our homes is not terribly large. So um, we need to be thinking as a state about how to target communities at highest risk and then help them, but also require them to make modifications to existing structures to make them safer. Because the reality is the state is paying a lot of money already to keep these communities safe. It's just called CAL FIRE, right? It's, it's mutual aid. It's, it's emergency response. It's all of those aircraft that are over fires that everyone feels so much better to see. Um, all of that costs an enormous amount of money. And the best way to, 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 to you know, keep those costs stable, frankly, to keep them from increasing, I won't even say reduce them, is, is to invest in home hardening and in community scale, um, you know, kind of vegetation management and treatments that are going to, that are going to reduce risk for the existing communities that were built. You know, a lot of communities were built long ago, were built on existing ranch roads, you know, without thinking about fire safety at all. And so we need to really be looking at these places critically and saying like, how can we help towns, cities in California, um, help themselves to be more resistant to fire. Following up on that, either inside the report or based on your observations of California as a whole, do you think there is any recognition that if California is to continue building inside the WUI, that it in some respects is heaping some potential liability onto electric utilities, you know, in the event a utility caused wildfire starts? Yeah, you know, this is a great question. I mean, the, the, there's, a, there's an important, you know, interaction between the obligation to serve customers, which utilities have, and this strict liability doctrine. It seems a little bit unfair that utilities are strictly liable when they're also compelled to do business with customers that may choose to live in very dangerous areas and may do so in ways that are themselves dangerous, Right like say have a wood shingle roof or have, you know, not maintain vegetation on their property in a way that creates defensible space. Um, I think there's definitely a, a, a contradiction there. Um, and the, that, that needs to be um, addressed personally. And this is, this is me, not the report authors or let alone the steering committee speaking, I, I think the most productive way to address it is going to be to invest in the state and, um, and, and try to help these communities bring themselves up to, up to a higher level of safety and resilience. Um, I think it's, it's, um, there's certainly, you know, concerns with big developments getting approved in very dangerous places. Um, and, and it's important to recognize that even if those developments are built to very high, um, you know, standards, both in terms of the homes and also the community development plans, there's still risk because the fires we've been experiencing over the last several years are throwing, you know, big firebrands a mile or two ahead of the fire front. And so, you know, it's, it's a kind of fire behavior 
that's really it's it's really unprecedented. And you know, even the best built communities and homes are going to be vulnerable to that. So we, I think it is reasonable to be thinking about how to, you know, how to balance those risks against um, the the need for new housing in California. I'd also say though, it's, I, I suspect that the insurance industry is going to help us here. Um, and something we haven't talked too much about today, but you know, it's becoming increasingly difficult to obtain affordable homeowners insurance or sometimes homeowners insurance at any price in dangerous places in California, places that are exposed to wildfire risk. I think that problem is going to accelerate. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And that is going to start to push people out of these regions. Um, the, you know, the, and it's certainly going to discourage new development in areas because, um, you know, the, if the new buyer ultimately can't obtain insurance or has to obtain insurance at a very high cost, you know, that's going to lower the value to the developer of, of the homes they're building. So, and I think we're going to see that process uh, accelerate in California over the next several years. On the topic of wildfire coordination, the report notes that there are a variety of agencies and policies involved in wildfire prevention and suppression. Have you given any thought to how local and, and state and federal gov- government agencies can better coordinate to improve wildfire prevention practices? You know, stepping outside the confines of the report, I, I wrote an editorial recently in the LA Times that, that argued that I think we need to think about creation of a department or an office of wildfire prevention for the state of California. Um, I really, you know, this is a big, it's always a big thing to create a new part of the government. And we always worry that maybe we don't want more government than we already have. It's going to be expensive, et cetera, et cetera. But I think this problem is of such significant scale for the state of California that we really do need to be thinking about an agency whose sole mission is risk reduction and that Cal Fire is so busy and working so hard to deal with the emergencies that are occurring across the state that it's very difficult for them to have bandwidth to devote to this issue to the degree that it needs attention. So, and, and I think a, an agency like that, or, or not an agency, but a, a department or an office could start to coordinate all of these activities, be a source of, of funding, but also a, a coordinator and kind of a, a, a provider of expertise um, to all the different stakeholders that need to take action and, and action with each other in, in a coordinated fashion to address this issue. So one possibility for this, I think, may, might be that the, you know, the wildfire safety division at the CPUC is going to be moving out of the PUC and into the resources agency. It has a lot of risk management expertise around the area, uh, around, in the context of wildfire. Obviously, that's what it's been doing. That was what it was created to do for the investor-owned utilities. And I wonder if we could expand the um, that uh, entities. Uh, responsibilities to include some of these broader risk management activities. Um, you know, I think remains to be seen, but but someone needs to be coordinating better. And I personally think that our emergency managers, like the Cal Fire and um, OES, are 
you know, they are working 24 seven, you know, 365 days a year, um, trying to deal with this problem. And I don't want them distracted from their emergency response mission. But I also think that someone needs to have accountability and really full-time responsibility for making sure that these the, the communities in California are as safe as they can be. Um, especially also so that the, when the firefighters show up to defend structures, that they're safe, that we, you know, we've lost a lot of first responders in the last couple of years. And these kinds of actions would also increase safety for the men and women who are putting their lives at risk to protect our communities. You know, the, the report talked about, you know, some of the states, I think, I think it qualified it as underinvestment in wildfire risk reduction. And we've talked about, you've talked about some big ideas here um, on this podcast. So, so with that as background, I mean, it comes down to, to dollars and cents. So, so how do we, how do we establish appropriate funding for prevention how does the state and how do policymakers think about that, uh, given all the other priorities that they have to uh, work on when it comes to, you know, what voters and the public expect from them? Yeah, I think this is an incredibly challenging issue, particularly now, uh, where, you know, we've, we, we're, we're in a really difficult fiscal situation as a state. I think we need to be working with Washington to maximize the availability of FEMA pre-disaster funding to work on this problem. Also to maximize the availability of U.S. Forest Service money to deal with the very significant federal uh, footprint in California and, and federal component of this problem. And then we need to be um, at least open to the idea that um, this is a problem worth investing in, not just from GGRF, from the from the cap and trade money, but also from general revenue to create some sort of a long term stability. Because you know the other thing, the, the, a long term stability for the programs, we need to train a workforce of you know people whose careers are about wildfire risk reduction in the state, and there's enormous value to be gained in terms of property values from doing that. If we don't, I think properties in high wildfire threat areas are going to be see little to no appreciation over the coming decades. And that's going to be a huge problem for the governments that need to need parcel taxes to, to operate. And, and so I, I think this is a problem worth investing in. Um, and, and that may, may be through fees um, where I live there was a measure passed to impose a fee on all you know on all parcels to to, to try to really take a crack at risk reduction it might be through general general fund but we need to be thinking about this as an investment in the state in the health of the state economy and in the health of the people of California when the 2021 fire season begins whenever that is what's the one or more near-term actions that the California should really consider at the top of the list to try to get this mitigated to the extent that's possible? Well, in the near term, I think what we should be doing is really trying to remove barriers to people that want to do fuels management, um, in particular prescribed fire. Uh, there, there are a 
there's kind of been a groundswell of these entities across the state that want to put good fire back on the land. And that is probably the most cost-effective and effective strategy to reducing the impacts of wildfire. But there are a lot of regulatory barriers those entities have to overcome just to be able to do the thing that will keep everyone safe. And so I think we should continue to explore whether there are ways to reduce those barriers so that come you know, January, February, March, when the ground is wet, and typically when you would be doing prescribed fire because it's very safe to do it then, um, folks are out in the field um, doing that work. And um, that's you know a big part of the problem we have in California is because we have excluded fire from so many areas of the state. We said fi- all fire is bad. And the reality is we live in fire-evolved landscapes and we need to use fire and, and manage it um, to, to create safety and provide other you know, environmental values that, that we want from, from the places that we live. And so I think the, the least cost action that we could take right now would be to get out of the way of those people in addition, I think the, the uh, wonderful thing to see happen this year would be to see the pilot that was proposed by the governor last year, but was eliminated in the budget you know, reductions that occurred in May and July, put back in place so that we start, you know, we, no one's ever really done home hardening for fire at scale as a public program. Um, we need to learn how to do that cost-effectively. We need to learn how to do it so that people aren't gold-plating their houses with public dollars, right? And and so the, the governor proposed doing a, a pilot, not that small, you know, $120 million pilot using mostly federal dollars last year. It was eliminated in order to save money in the budget uh, crisis that occurred in, in May and July due to COVID. I very much hope to see those um, funds back so that we can spend the federal dollars, right? It's, it's a five to one match. Um, and so, or sorry, four to one. Um, so hopefully that occurs because I think there's some learning we need to do about how to scale this program. Cause ultimately we're going to need to harden a lot of houses. And part of that needs to be with some assistance. Part of it needs to be with requirements for people who can afford it, but we need to get moving. Um, and I'm, ho- I'm, I'm hopeful that we will see movement this year, given the, 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 the horrible fire season we experienced. Michael, thanks for joining us. Really interesting conversation. Enjoyed it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Great to always, great to talk to you, Patrick. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Water and Power Leadership, a CMUA production. Please consider subscribing or writing a review. We'd really appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Matt Williams for CMUA.